Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled The State of the Great Commission was given by Darren Roundson on May 15th of 2011. Hey guys, grab a seat. Welcome, my name's Darren. Um, it has, it's so good to be with you guys. It's cool that we finally have some space to move around and dance and worship with our arms out. We're not so tight and crammed, although it gives us kind of a perspective of uh, how much space we actually have to bring people in. Amen? All right, so this morning, I'm ready to go. So uh, I, I've been gone for two weeks, and I'm like, get me on stage. I'm ready to preach, and um, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm expecting some amens, some come-ons, because that's kind of my thing now. And um, I, uh, I, I'll just share, just so you can have some context. I was in, I, I took a week off for vacation. My stepmom and my dad flew my two brothers and our wives out to Hawaii for a vacation. So I know all of you are jealous, but I spent a week in paradise and thought, man, I'm going to plant a church in Maui. And uh, so I'll see you guys later. No, um, 
But we just had, my wife and I had such a refreshing time. I just wanted to thank all of you guys that were praying for us to rest and, and kind of relax from the, the kind of the craziness that we, we've been going through. But had an amazing vacation. Um, and then I got back Sunday um, night or Monday morning at 2 a.m. last week and um, took off at 7.45 a.m. to go on a two-day getaway vision planning meeting with seven other lead pastors in Long Beach. This is fascinating, guys. I'm so excited to share with you what's happening in our city. God is up to something. And um, it's beyond one local church. It's a city. Um, and I think our city is going to impact lots of cities. But I, I got together with um, seven other lead pastors from Grace Brethren, Park Crest, um, Antioch Church, Light and Life, um, Covenant Church, a couple other churches that weren't there. But we, we, w- there's a group called Vision 360 that's a church planning organization that comes into cities, gets church leaders and domain leaders, city council members, businessmen together to, to focus on how do we transform the city together. So I spent hours praying, um, dreaming, envisioning what it will look like for the city of Long Beach, for the church of Long Beach, capital C church, to come together to plant churches and transform this city in our lifetime. All of these churches, we, we, we currently have 25 churches of Long Beach, the largest churches in the city, all on board, laying down their walls, giving themselves away, saying, how do we do this together? Um, some of the statistics are that there's about half a million people in the city, and I know some of you live outside of this city, but there's about half a million people in this city. And a poll that was done about nine years ago was um, that around that time, which um, there's obviously been church decline, but there was about 45,000 people attending church regularly out of half of a million. That's less than 10%. Um, it's it just the, the statistics are, are staggering, and they're quite... Um, I don't, I don't know, it just, it wrestled with me. But what was so amazing about this time, apart from the humility that these pastors have, apart from their passion to, to not just build a big church, but to church the city, to church the city, that was, that was a side note. What was fascinating to me was that the Garden Church, our church, of, of the smallest represented there, is pioneering what it's going to look like for the next five years for us to help plant 50 churches in the next five years in the city of Long Beach. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that, that's amazing. Well, let me tell you. So I spent most of the time debriefing our story as a church with these guys. And for the next five years, we're going to play a role in helping church planners feel, get equipped um, be strengthened, be cared for, to plant 50 different churches. We want to get the Cambodian populations here knowing Jesus, the Spanish-speaking population, the, the black population. We want to get everyone. This is the most diverse city in the, war, in the United States. Is that, is that crazy? Our little church is pioneering this for, for future churches. How awesome is that? So something, maybe I'm just excited, but something inside of me has just been sparked. And it, it was just the... Um, the reminder of our story, because uh, why are we doing this in the first place? Why are we coming to a nightclub that smells like smoke, um, that's bright, and some of us like it dark, that has worship, different, different worship leaders? Um, uh, we, we, you know, we, we have these awkward chairs, and it makes noise. It's freaking raining in here. And um, why are we doing this? Why do we split the two services? Some of us are like, I liked it when it's packed. There's more people. I'm not seen as much. Why did we do this? Well, I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the state of the Great Commission. And what, if you are here, 
and you've said yes to Jesus, if at some point in your life you've raised your hand, you've said that prayer, I, say, I, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my personal Savior. If you've done that in your life, then this message is for you. And if it's not for you, well, welcome to the family conversation. This is what we're about. But before that, um, let me just tell you this. Um, I want to tell you a story real quick about uh, something that I struggle with in my life. And maybe some of you struggle with this. But anytime something um, is important that my wife has to tell me something important, I always forget it. Do, how many of you are like that? How many of you are like this when you're walking out the door and, and she's giving you the list or your spouse is giving you the list and all of a sudden she's giving you the list and you're, you're like, yes, yes, yes. And she's like, okay, and don't forget black beans, Right? <laughs> How many of you are like this? And, and so the whole drive, you didn't write it down. You're driving in the car. You pull up to the grocery store. It's black beans, black beans, black beans, black beans. I'm going to get black beans. And it's like, that's the only thing that you're supposed to get. This happened to me in Maui. This is hilarious. So I walk into the store, and I'm just thinking literally to myself, black, be- black beans, black beans, because I've, bl- I've blown it so many times. I come home, Darren, did you get the, the soap? Oh, gosh, soap. I'll be back. You know, it's just, you blow it. You know what I'm talking about? Does anyone else struggle with this? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Thank you, guys. And um, so here I am. I'm walking in the store, black beans, black beans. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is a local store. Oh, I've, I'm, this is cool. This is the local Maui store. All right, I'm, I'm going to look around. And I look around, and I'm distracted by the mangoes. I'm like, these are some brilliant mangoes and interesting bananas. And uh, I'm walking, black beans, black beans. And I'm walking around, and then I get to the section. And, and I'll say this as a pastor. I love good beer. And some of you know that. I, I'm, I drink in moderation. I love microbreweries, and all of a sudden I see the Maui section of local microbrew beer. I'm like, oh my gosh. I gotta, I gotta check this out. So black beans, black, I, I pull up $16 for a local six-pack of local brew. I'm like, what? But then it says locals, $4.99. I'm, are you kidding me? Are they, are they that against tourists that you have, to, you have to actually be a local to get, you know, cheap beer? So it, it was, um, I have my brothers. It wasn't just me. So I want to buy a six-pack, and I'm thinking, I'll grab this $15.99 six-pack. And I'm just calculating. Okay, I'm like, how am I going to make this one work? How do I become a local in a matter of minutes? So, you know, I have flip-flops on. I have somewhat of a white tan, and I'm just trying to get the, the Maui lingo and, and do the, that whole thing. But I'm walking up, and, okay, so I go to the black bean section. I remember the black beans. I'm looking, oh, 249, and I grab the 49-cents ones. But the whole time, I'm just like, okay, um, I got to get over this. So I get to the counter. I'm, I'm figuring out who it is, who I need to talk to, who I need to schmooze and talk about, how I'm really just visiting. I'm not really a local, but um, I want to be a local. How do I become? So I end up doing it. And she's like, oh, yeah, just give me your number. You can be a local. I'm like, oh, that's easy. It's just like a Ralph's Club card. Okay. Um, so I get it. I'm so excited. I call my wife, babe. I got the local beer. Everyone's going to be excited. We're stoked. I go home. I pull it out. Guys, check it out. And they're like, yeah, you got the local stuff. Awesome. And then I pull out kidney beans. How on earth did I blow the one thing I went for? Are you with me? I feel like the church has done this for so long. We have hit the bullseye on the wrong target. We have become so good at doing church, at perfecting worship sets, at providing the perfect programs, at at making serve days every year so that we can check it off the list. Once a year, I did that one time. But it doesn't become a lifestyle. We have become so good at branding churches that we have forgotten the last words of Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew 28. This morning, I just want to kind of walk through 
the Great Commission. Um, and the reason we're not jumping back into our series, The Kingdom of God, is because next week I have a friend coming all the way out from India, a guy named Suresh Kumar, and he will be sharing stories. Um, Suresh is a hero of mine. He has planted thousands of churches, dozens of orphanages. He, um, his ministry involves widows, orphans, lepers, the untouchables, um, the blind, the sick, the dying, pastors, um, college students, schools, you name it, this guy is in it. He's, he's ministering to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We have nothing on his ministry, and he's coming to share how we might play a role in impacting the gospel around India. So he's going to share some of the stories. So I just wanted to talk a little bit from my heart this morning. So go to Matthew 28, verse 16. Um, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus dies, and he resurrects from the dead, and we know that that changes everything. He resurrects from the dead, and he gathers his followers. Now, it says, it says that the 11 were with him, but most scholars believe that's a technical term for, for the writer, Matthew, who's writing this, to explain that Judas is no longer a disciple. He's died. Judas betrayed Jesus, committed suicide. So it's now there, there's 11, but what the writer, what most scholars believe is that other followers were with Jesus at this moment. Jesus comes to this mountain where he's going to give his last words, his remember the black beans moment, but much more serious than that. And he says to them, um, and, and if you, what, real quick, you've got to love this. When, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. How relieving is that? The closest followers of Jesus Christ, at the moment where he's resurrected from the dead, the better translation would be some hesitated. So I just want to give permission out there. You can hesitate in worship. There's times when you just don't feel it. You can hesitate. You can doubt. God's big enough to handle that. That's a side note. No charge. Although you, you, we already passed the bucket, so you did, you did pay for that. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're not paying for that. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some Bibles around the room, and we can pass them out. So I want you to read this. I want you to, most of us have this memorized, but most of us don't probably live this out. Um, including myself. So it says, uh, he says to his disciples who are probably taking verbal notes, oral notes, and he says, first of all, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. All authority, that word is exousia. Say it with me, exousia. 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 Say it. Now say it fast. Nice work, guys. Okay. It means rightful or actual power to act rightful or actual power to, ha- to act. Um, that means that for Jesus, um, excuse me, <clears throat> that means for Jesus that uh, um, all of a sudden he, he, for the first time, one of the first times, proclaims that he has all the authority on heaven and on earth. Now we know, following in the book of Mark and out throughout Matthew, that Jesus is described as someone with authority. But this is a particular word that describes a legal authority. He's saying, I have all 
power to act, all actual power to act because of what? Finally, because of the cross and his resurrection. So in one way, he's saying, because of what I've done, because this, this kind of enables me now to say what I'm about to say. All the authority on heaven and earth are with me. Therefore, are you with me? Because of this, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. He gives them the great commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Go to Matthew 10, verse 5. Because this, Matthew 10, verse 5, has a different commissioning. And if you follow the book of Matthew, we did a little bit when we first started our church um, through the Sermon on the, on the Mount, which was talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what it means to live in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' kind of final commissioning. But he, at one point, already commissioned his disciples. But I want you to just look at what he's done um, in the past and now contrast that with, with, with this new commission. In verse 5, he gathers the 12, and it says this, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus' previous commission when he was alive was a mission for the Israelites. Do you guys know this? Jesus' first mission when he, his ministry was to fulfill the law, to, to impact the Israel nation. But when he dies and when he resurrects, his mission is now fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament, which is to be a light into the world, that Jerusalem would be a, a, a city for the nations. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So all of a sudden, he cha- the, the call now is a new mission for his disciples. The call is to go out into the world it's no longer just to the, the, the people of Israel. It's now that they're commanded, they're commissioned to go to the world, to the nations. How many of you are following me with this? If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's another kind of commissioning that Jesus does. Um, it's in, it, uh, the, the writer Luke gives us a different commission. I think we have that. But Jesus um, gives the, the church, gives the followers of Christ it's their mission statement, which is similar to this. It says... Um, it says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus says to go to the ends of the earth. This is a, a helpful, um, can you put that up real fast? This is a helpful illustration for us, though, because I believe that somehow along the way, we've convinced ourselves that the Great Commission are for missionaries, how many of you have followed that? Those are for those types of people that feel called out to do missions. You can confess it with me. Raise your hand for real. Okay, I'm the only one. Growing up, I felt and thought that this was for those called to overseas missions. Where, where all of a sudden our goal is to reach the ends of the earth. It's to reach all the nations. But we need to go. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let me just grab some water. But we need to go... Um, but that, that, that great commission is reserved for those select few that feel called out. And so what I love about this perspective is that you can't reach the ends of the earth until you reach your friends at home. And, and one more side note. Long Beach is the most ethnically diverse city in the entire United States. If we can't reach our neighbors, which literally are the nations, we're not going to reach the ends of the earth. Are you with me? So how great is this message for us this morning? 
So first of all, Jesus gives them a commission to reach the ends of the earth, which is, which is different from his previous commission in chapter 10. But he says, um, he says, go. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That word go is, is unhelpful because, again, that kind of instantiates that we, um, some of us, are, are because he has authority, now we're supposed to go. Now we're supposed to go. But the better Greek translation is that um, that, that phrase is, therefore, as you go, look at how this changes it. The Greek would be, therefore, in your going, as you go, as you are going about, when you're doing that, make disciples of the nations. Do you see the, the, subtle, the, the subtle translation difference that, that we're thinking, oh, for those that are called, now we're supposed to go. No, Jesus is saying, this is for every single one of us. It's for everyone that has said yes to Jesus. As we go about our business, make disciples of all nations. Does that challenge any of our perspectives so far? But then he says, make disciples. Um, How many of you guys know what a disciple is? So a disciple, just to help us figure this out, it's not a student. It's not just a student. It's not someone, when I think of discipleship, I immediately think of a classroom. That's unhelpful for most of us. A disciple is someone that's working towards becoming like their rabbi. They want to be like their rabbi. They don't just want to know what their rabbi knows. They want to become like their rabbi. In the first century, a disciple would leave everything they knew, their families, their, their cities. Um, they would leave um, their, their, their trade to become like their rabbi. And Jesus is saying, guys, whenever, wherever and when you go, disciple the nations. How many of us honestly feel confident that we can make disciples? A few of us? How many of us feel confident that we've been discipled? A little more? And this is the greatest omission of the church. That because we focus on worship, because we focus on Sundays, we've missed We've forgotten the black beans. Make disciples of all nations. I want to make this really simple for us so that we can walk out thinking, okay, a disciple is not this nebulous term. It's not the, the elitist. It's not just for the radicals. I want, to, I, want to, I want to help you understand what I think and what a lot of people around the world think discipleship means very practically. I think it means a person that lives out a lifestyle of offering and surrender back to God in a life of worship. First thing is worship. A disciple is somebody who knows how to worship God on a daily basis. Basic, basis, one of those words. The second thing is that they embody a personal lifestyle of mission. They embody a life of service and mission to the world, to the marginalized, to the people that Jesus loved, to the people on the streets. You just, you're open to the mission of God. Are you with me on that? And the third thing is that they participate and belong to a community of God. They practice their gifts. They're held accountable. They're held with intention and boundaries with a worshiping community. That's it. If you look at it as a triangle, a disciple is somebody who embodies worship, mission, and belong. They know how to do that. We, we need to be training ourselves and each other in a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of mission, a lifestyle of belonging to a family. How many of you guys think you can do that? Most of us. I'm going to break it down even further. This is really easy because I want to commission you all as disciple-making people. 
If you want to break down discipleship even further, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, I think discipleship simply means two words, hear and obey. After the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with, be doers of what you hear. I believe that if we can learn to simply listen and hear God's word, listen to him speaking to us in the moment, and obey his commands, that's discipleship at its best. So all you have to do is teach people how to listen to God and obey what he says. In the name of Jesus, go therefore, disciple the nations. (laughs) Okay, you with me on that? Make disciples, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Let me get through this because I want to bring some people up that can help us illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, But this next part is great because I always confuse this, but I love this part. It says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, immerse those people in the Trinitarian reality. Immerse those people in the Trinitarian reality. And we understand that baptism is, is a symbol of an internal reality, but in the first century church, baptism was incorporation to a worshiping community. You read Acts chapter 2. Peter says the first uh, sermon on Sunday at Pentecost. He preaches this message, and people are like, wow, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. It's not that you just repent and get dunked into water, but what we see is that 3,000 were added to the church that day. That Jesus isn't just saying, go dunk people in the river. He's saying, immerse them now into the community of, of God. Allow them to be a part of a family of God. That is the only way that discipleship makes sense. You don't see Paul going and doing missionary journeys just discipling along the way. You see him starting communities because that's the only way that we can make it in this world as disciples. That a disciple knows how to live in community with one another. So Jesus' commandment is not just to go and be a lone ranger discipling everyone, but bringing people into the community of God, bringing people into church. Not just the institution, but we're talking house churches, cell groups, we're talking mega churches. It doesn't matter. We need to get people into church. Don't you think this city needs the garden? I, I more than ever, this week has revealed to me that this city desperately needs this, these types of people. And when I mean the garden, I don't mean Cohiba, I mean you guys. That all of you, listen to this, all of you have access to the creator of the universe, You have access to wholeness, to healing, to love, to freedom and liberation. Do you think that's good news to somebody that desperately needs freedom? And why are we limiting our experience with the world to our comfort zones? Have we submitted the gospel of salvation and the the, the gospel of discipleship for the gospel of comfort. I don't want to share my faith because I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. How many of you feel that way? I don't want to live it out because I'd rather just say it from afar. How many of you live that one out? I got my Bible, but I, I just use it on Sunday. It's a cool accessory for Cohiba. Let's keep going. It's heavy, I know. He says, and then, so you, bow, you immerse them in the community, and then he says, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I love this. Just, we're supposed to share with those that we disciple and bring into a community. We're supposed to teach them the ways of Jesus. Man, there's a lot of ways, right? It's light. It's easy. 
We don't murder. We don't even murder. We don't get angry inappropriately. We don't lust. We teach people the Sermon on the Mount. We teach people to love in a way that, that dies to self. We, we teach people to have the mind of Christ. How many of us are discipling this way? We get to teach them. And then uh, the best part of this whole commission is the ending. And it's, it's simply this. Um, uh, the last verse says, and remember, guys, just remember, by the way, in case you forget, I'm with you always and to the end of the age. The only way we can possibly disciple the nations, baptize them in the name of the Trinitarian reality, and teach them the ways of Jesus is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it with strategy. We can't do it with the biggest churches in Long Beach coming together and saying, we're gonna do this. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, through daily obedience to the Holy Spirit, opening ourselves to the possibilities that God wants us to focus on him, to minister on his behalf, to disciple our neighbors and the nations. This message, guys, is is simply this. Um, How are we doing? How are you doing on this? Just think about this. How are you doing with the last words of Jesus Christ? Maybe even ask yourself this. Who are your disciples? How many of you have the names of your disciples written in your journal that you pray for every day? You think... That if your wife tells you to get the black beans, you'll get the black beans. Jesus asks you to disciple the nations and tells you that he's going to help you do it. That we'd be doing it. That's why I love this two-service thing. Because all of a sudden, this becomes a name. This is a chair. How many of us have names on the chair? people that we want to know Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't preach this message because I'm coming down. I'm preaching it because I'm struggling to figure this out too. I desperately want to be a church that disciples the nations. Who's with me? I want to be the kind of community that knows how to disciple the nations, that if we're here for a year and we take off to Africa, that we know how to have healthy community, how to disciple, how to teach people the ways of Jesus. As a college student, how awesome would that be? let alone someone that's grown up in the faith and is excellent at criticizing the worship leaders or excellent at saying, that pastor is funny or that pastor is this, I miss my gear, I miss, whatever it is. Let's become experts in disciple making. Who's with me? All right, so a um, couple of thoughts. Um, the Great Commission is for everyone. First thought, it's for everyone. Anyone that accepts Jesus, it's for you. The Great Commission is for um, everyone as they are and not as a robot. Hear this. You're not called to disciple the nations like Billy Graham, like me, like Dallas Willard, or whoever your hero is. You're called to disciple the nations as you are. God wants to empower you as you are to disciple people like you, the way you would do it. He wants to give you some tools and he wants to empower you with his spirit, but he wants you to do it as yourself. He wants you to do it as a personal trainer, as a teacher, as an accountant. He wants you to disciple personal trainers, accountants, and people that are in your life. He doesn't want you to go and bring people to a classroom, make artificial environments, and become the talking robot that knows how to do everything that the teacher does. He wants you to be empowered as you are, as a disciple-making person. You with me on that? Third thought. Um, 
if we can't reach our world. No, I wrote that wrong. Okay. It doesn't start by going to the nations. It starts by discipling your friends. For those of you that feel called to the nations, amazing. God bless you. We have some people we're sending to Africa. Alex Carpenter's going soon. Brandon Stiver's there. We have some other people that are called. That's a calling from God. That's amazing. But all of us are called to be missionaries where we are and to begin discipling the people in our life. Hey, I want to bring up some friends because I, I, I want to bring some context. I don't want this to just be theory. Jeremy and Elliot, will you guys come forward? And I know, hey, give these guys a hand already. They're worth the applauding. <laughs> Sit here. Especially after a message like this. I know these guys are like, I don't know why I'm up here. Um, they're both extremely humble people, and I'm going to do my best to pull what I see in them out of them. Um, but I have invited these two guys up because in a lot of ways, we, we, we don't see how we're playing this, self, this thing out. We don't see how we're playing the Great Commission out. And so I wanted to, um, I'll give you guys a microphone. You're going to have to pass it around. This is uh, Jeremy. This is Elliot. Um, but what I want to do is just kind of interview them as best as I can and, and try to um, uh, uh, simplify what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. So, what do you guys do uh, for work? Explain kind of what you do in Hi, life. Jeremy. Hello, hello. Um, I work at a, um, I'm in the spot that's going to do that the whole time. Here you go. I work at a cable network called Reels Channel, and I interview, I, I'm kind of a host producer. I interview the cast of new movies, basically. So, so I'm just, say that one more time, because I think you have my dream job. Say it one more time. Okay. I, I work at a cable television cable network called Reels Channel, R-E-E-L-Z, because it's cool, cooler for the kids, with a Z, and interview the cast of new movies, pretty much. Awesome. I'm listening. I'm going to get you a new mic. I'm Elliot Roush, and I think I'm still trying to figure out who I am. But uh, <laughs> Hey, can we get this one on? This one? Check, check, check. There we go. Um, I think some people call me a director. I probably call myself a storyteller. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes get paid for it, so... Cool. So <laughs> these are two people in a similar industry, um, and, and what I love about both of them is that they both follow Jesus, and their work has begun to reflect their faith in Christ, and whether they admit it or not, I definitely see it. Would you guys just explain as best as you can, and Elliot, I know this is going to be hard for you, but how has, um, how has following Jesus transformed the work that you guys do and the way that you work? This is work? Okay, Hello? Um, I, th I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a journey, um, and I'm constantly transforming, but, uh, I think when I, like, I came into my field, my sensibility was that, you know, secular and Christian are somehow separate, and, uh, I was going to go into the secular world, you know, on fire for Jesus and, and be the light and the darkness and change everyone, and, um, I think really quickly I got my ass kicked, and, um, you can say ass in church. It's cool. Right. Donkey. <laughs> Mule. And I was put into spaces and places where, you know, I ha literally would be working with people that would come up to me. And, they, you know, they'd say, I, I heard you're, you might be a Christian. I just want to let you know I, I hate Jesus and I hate Christianity. If you try to convert me or, or bring that stuff into my life, you're going to have a big problem with me. And so, the, you know, the the question became, you know, what does Jesus look like in, in those type of relationships, in those situations? And so it was really challenging, um, you know, and then, you know, you, so you had the, the bigger productions that sort of had that circle of, um, 
that sort of that I had to walk Jesus out in those circles. And then I had the circles, you know, where I was, I was doing documentary work with, you know, the marginalized and people that were completely, you know, forgotten and, and pushed aside and, and, um, they were hurting and just needed money or they needed a voice and they didn't need to be converted. They just, they just needed something extra. And, um, so I think I've, I'm constantly challenged, but it's, it's trying to figure out what Jesus looks like in, in different spaces, you know? What I love about what you've done, Elliot did the Easter video this year and last year. If you've seen that, the video that we used during the Easter services, that's his work, as well as a few others that have kind of traveled um, in some very successful ways around the world, um, kind of revealing what, exactly what he's saying. He's revealing Jesus through media, through storytelling, um, and doing it in a very provocative, telling way. And a lot of times, people that don't know Jesus, and I've read the comments, especially on the ones that you've done with, that we've kind of done um, in partnership, uh, it's just fascinating to hear unchurched people blown away by the message, and, and, and I love that you get to communicate that, um, because I just want to say this, Elliot, in front of everyone, that you keep preaching the gospel through your words, through your life, through your own way, and I just, this is a, a literal example of what I just asked everyone, how are you personalizing the, the Great Commission, how are you spreading it through what you do with your hands, and, and this is a great example, um, what has been the most challenging thing? doing that in the industry that is obviously not that way I, th I think the challenging part is that I fell more in love with the non-believer than the Christian so um, I like spending time with people that don't believe and, and people that um, aren't perfect and I think with um, walking out my own faith many times I'm challenged with my own sinful nature and I think I fall more into um, being okay with my sin than you know getting in front of believers and having them pray for me um so listening to your message and then, and then darren constantly sends me emails trying to, to hurt my feelings um, <laughs> you are a heathen Just yeah that, i know the, hard, the hardest part honestly is, is, is staying plugged into a church because yeah. i feel like there's so much work to be done out there i just don't want to like waste my time yeah. getting holy and feeling like um i need to get filled up again or something i don't know yeah okay cool yeah. jeremy um for you in your industry, which is kind of, you know, backstabbing, slashing, cutting, the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know. The, uh, but it's kind of weird because there's, the, unlike you, I don't have as much creative control over a lot of, you know, I, I'm working at an entertainment cable network that's, you know, the, what we do is established by people other than me. So there's a little less control in terms of what's put out there. Uh, my heart getting it, coming, moving to California was to get into the to entertainment industry. Um, as a Christian and to be a person who can be about that world and somehow impact culture through it. That's yeah. a very lofty, yeah. like, Christian-y thing to say. When it comes down to practicality, day in and day out, what I've learned and, and what I've been challenged with and what I've failed at a lot, but what I see now is that really, exactly like you said, it comes down to my sort of mission field, whatever, are the people that are around me the closest that I work mm -hmm. with, the camera guys I work with, the producers that I work with, things like that. And... Um, what I've found is, similar to what you're saying, the environments, just like any industry that's not a Christian organization or something, it's a weird dynamic. You have to, you know, there's strategy involved in how you present who Jesus is when you do it. Yeah. I'm not going to a red carpet with my Bible. Yeah. Uh, the next question, Anthony Hopkins, can you read this verse? Yeah, or something, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. It, 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 what really, and this is maybe a cliche thing to say, uh, the littlest light shines very bright mm -hmm. in a very dark room, in the darkest room. Um, and I've found that sort of the spillover 
from the natural process of, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you have faith, if you're living it out, if something's happening in you, there's spillover to that that you don't even necessarily know. And I've had people, I've, I literally, uh, at some point, the, the one story that sticks out to yeah. me that, that just sort of came out of nowhere, that I, I was doing some production work for Good Morning America's Oscars coverage uh, a few years ago, and a producer that I got to know then came to me and she just said, you know, y you really, there's something different about you, yeah. and I really like working with you, and you've got a glow and a, and a sense of enthusiasm and excitement and sort of vigor for life that is contagious and whatever. So I think there's something to say for being able to change the temperature of the room you're in mm. without necessarily beating people over the head with this is Jesus and That's whatever. And, and I think you're, you know, mm. my little cheesy tagline that I wrote on a card and put on my mirror a long time ago was to live in a way that causes people to ask questions rather than arrogantly offering answers to people who aren't asking. That's great. And so that mentality I've failed at many times and maybe that sometimes I've hidden behind that as a way to not say anything mm. um, because, I, you know, it's, it's scary and I'm, sc I'm scared sometimes. Yeah. To, you know, there's moments where I've passed and yeah. I haven't done it. Yeah. Um, and I regret that, but I, I've got to, especially even recently, it's interesting that you asked, uh, and you're talking about this, and, and just recently it's been something on my heart to really mm. hone in on individuals that, that I'm seeing opportunity to access with legitimate impact. So, anyway. Awesome. Jeremy, one more question, and then I'll pass it on to Elliot. You moved from Redondo to Long Beach because of the relationships that you built here at the right. Garden. Um, would you encourage anyone that is not in a community group, that's not in a, like a community within a worshiping community, um, what that meant to you, and then just any other encouragement for us? I am uh, fascinated by the realities of people who feel like islands in this city. This city meaning the Los Angeles area, particularly in entertainment, people that are transplants from other parts of the country and whatever that don't have any structure here and that are literally like surrounded by a million people, but they're absolutely alone. Yeah. Um, I, Tara, my wife, and I kind of felt like that to a degree. Um, to some degree, you know, we bounced mm -hmm. around a lot, and um, it became extremely important to lock into a community. We were going to Rock Harbor first, found out about this, came here, and then just really made a, an intentional, God laid it on our heart clearly. We were, we were clearly led to, to make an intentional effort to be a part of a community, yeah. um, just as a foundation block, and, and that's the yeah. garden has turned out to be for us. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Elliot, um, one thing. So you've, you've seen some transformation with the relationships Wait. that you've... Yep. Ass. I wanted to say oh. it too. Okay, ass. Great. Sinner. That's going on podcast. That's great. Um, awesome. So, uh, Elliot, you've seen transformation with your work. You've seen uh, p friends um, in your life experience God. Do you want to share any encouraging stories or just what you can encourage us with before you leave the stage? Yeah, I think I, mean, I, could, I could talk about my work and, and what it might do for people. I mean, I have, um, you know, atheists email me and say, I've never seen God that way. And I think, I think that's great. But in the context of your message, I think, you know, the same kid that said he hated Christianity and he hated me, um, I worked with him for two years intimately. And at the end of it, we were al almost became very, very close friends. And um, I never, ever, I mean, I'd, I'd shared Jesus in such a weird way, but, um, you know, coming out the other end of it, I, I remember him saying a couple times, like, man, if this, if this is Christianity, like, I might, I might be able to warm up to it. And, yeah. and I never got him to say the sinner's prayer, you know? Like, I never, I never dunked him in the water, probably like I should have, but... 
It's okay. It's okay. But it was one. It was one kid that hated Jesus, or one kid that had been hurt by the church, one kid that you know had been pushed so many times. And on the other side of it, maybe you know my relationship with him uh, shifted his perspective just a little bit. You yeah. know. Cool. Well, I just want to encourage both of you guys. Thank you guys for sharing your story. Thanks for um, living it out. And I just, I think all of us have our own stories, but. Uh, I just really appreciate your, you two as friends, and I appreciate you guys sharing. So thanks for being here for me. Appreciate that. Thank you, bro. Um, okay, so to close, um, I, we all have our stories. We are all living out, to some degree, the Great Commission. But I just want to challenge us to, to really look at the last words and not to forget the black beans. Um, I want to do this uh, as we close. Would you grab, there's, there's a, a card on your, your chair, um, and uh, it's like a who we are card, and this is great, you can know who we are, but um, we ran out of paper, and uh, grab a pen or pencil, but I want you to just, for a moment, I'm going to have the worship team come up, and this will be kind of a way into worship. Why don't you just look at the back of your card, it's blank, grab a pen, I want you to, uh, to write out right now the people in your lives, your friends that don't know Jesus. I want you to begin to write out all of the friends, coworkers that, that just come up to your heart, that come on your heart, that don't know God, that don't know Jesus, that um, just start listing it now. For some of us, this is really easy. Others of us, we, we don't even know who to write on here, huh? That says something. What are we surrounding ourselves with? I have a friend who was in the party scene. Amazing story. And he, uh, he I mean, he was ha- having sex with his girlfriend for six years. I mean, young guy, went to UCSB, partied, 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 came to Christ. And I saw him a year later. His, his girlfriend came to Christ at the same time. They moved out, and then they got married. And uh, he was just telling me a story, and he's, he was saying, Darren, it's so hard. I have no Christian friends. So it's, I go to church as much as possible because I, I, he lived the scene. I said, I don't have um, any Christian friends. And then he opens up his notebook and says, but I have all of my friends I'm praying for. And literally just two pages of people that didn't know Jesus. And then in a moment of rare you know, greatness. I just say, well, there's all your Christian friends. Start praying for them. And he texts me sporadically over the last three years, probably 25 different times for 25 different people that accepted Jesus on that list. I just wonder how, how big is our list. Now, I want you to just allow this to settle. Now, pull out your phone. Everyone pull out your phone. We all have cell phones. You can go to Ethiopia and they have cell phones. If it's on vibrate, good. If it's turned off, turn it on. And I want you to go to the person's phone number that's on your list that sticks out the most right now. Seriously, right now. Just go and look at the number. Some of you that don't have one, a a name on your heart, I want you to just pray and write on the card, God, give me some names. And begin to pray for that. For those of you that have your phone out, Worship's going to begin, but this is the only time I'll ask you to do this. I want you to text that person and just say, thinking of you, let's get together soon, right now. This is your worship.
This is your act of worship. Some of you, there's a bunch of them. Would you text them all? How easy is it that we can begin to fulfill the Great Commission with our cell phones? Amen? So I want you to think about that. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you can, you can text while I pray. That's fine. <laughs> Texting while praying is not a ticketable offense. Um, you can call me. Jesus, thank you, God, for um, the grace that you give us. That despite our distractions, dis- despite our, our insignificant mistakes, despite our willingness to be enamored by worship services and, and branded pastors with personalities that tell us what to do, you still want to use us where we are to fulfill this great commission. That, in fact, it's not going to take a pastor to fulfill it. It's going to take every single follower to fulfill it. Lord Jesus, would you give us the capacity to send a text message? That let this be the beginning of a movement within our hearts to change the world. So Lord, may you give us a a desire to fulfill your last words. And may you cause us to worship this morning in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.
your spirit, oh God, to stir. 